Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show. It's Thursday. It's Haley Salvi and Max Boltman. No Sean Gentilly this week. He's too busy celebrating the Michigan football team's national championship. Oh my gosh. That's probably, that's probably why he like, didn't want to look at you, Max. Cause he was too busy celebrating. No. Cause he's so upset. Like he's pissed. I don't know if I've met somebody who like hates Michigan football more than that man. And I don't think I know why, but I think it's just like a Michigan football thing. Like people just hate you. Yeah. So be it. That sucks. Congrats though. Thank you. What a, what a day. Yeah. Um, Obviously we've had some time off for the holidays, um, the Thursday show, and obviously Sean's not here this week, so it's not a full welcome back. It's not a full we're back here on Thursdays. It was hectic with the start of the PWHL season. Sean hates Michigan and Max, um, but we're back for the most part this week. The big story to talk about Max, and it's a good thing that Sean's gone actually, because like you're better (laughs) suited to talk about this. Sorry, Sean. Um, It was the big prospect for prospect trade this week. Obviously, a lot of the conversation has been about the nature of the deal. Cutter Gauthier is obviously who we're talking about, um, you know, not wanting to sign in Philadelphia. And if we believe what we've heard from the Flyers, um, Gauthier going so far as to not meet the team. Uh, at World Juniors this year. Flyers are saying they don't have an answer as to why this happened. Gauthier is not talking about the why. Um, There's been lots of drama, lots of speculation, but we've kind of been having that conversation since the deal happened. Um, Cutter Gauthier for Jamie Drysdale between the Anaheim Ducks and the Philadelphia Flyers. If you're listening to this and you're not aware of what deal we're talking about. Um, So I kind of want to just dive in with you a little bit, Max, on the on-ice implications of this deal. Yeah, and, unless and you want to talk about the drama. <laughs> well, I'm always down to talk drama. You know me, Haley. But uh, yeah. I, I think with the on ice, like the, the most exciting thing about this is we never really see trades of of this magnitude, prospect for prospect. Mm-hmm. Not often, certainly. And and part of that, these are both top six picks from the last four years. They're both guys who have trended pretty well since their selections. And the reason that we don't see those is because they they are, uh, you know two prospects who play depending on how you feel about Gauthier, if he's a center or a wing premium positions. And obviously if a team's going to spend this level of pick on you, they like you, you're trending well, why would they ever trade you? And so mm-hmm. the Gauthier situation where he, you know, reportedly has refused to meet with the flyers. Uh, you could take that as kind of an implied trade request. And, and I think that colors the deal significantly. For sure. um, but I think the ducks, what my first reaction seeing this trade is wow, what a stable of young forwards Anaheim now has. When you talk about Mason McTavish, Leo Carlson, they already had Trevor Zegras, and now you bring in Cutter Gauthier. 
Like these are not just high picks. These are guys who can be high, play high in your lineup as centers potentially, yeah. depending on what you think of of uh, of Gauthier and Zegers as centers. And you don't even have to do that. Like you can now deploy them. You know, two of those guys, I would say Gauthier and Zegers as wings, and have your your kind of perfect one two center punch that they already had in Carlson and McTavish, supported mm-hmm. by like a high end wingman on on right. each of those top lines. We'll see what they do with Zegers. I know there's some rumors out there about him now. And we'll see, but mm-hmm. it's a great spot to be in for the Anaheim Ducks. And, and I think there's com- the high compete guys and Gauthier mm-hmm. certainly answers the question of who's going to mm-hmm. finish these pucks. He's got a deadly shot coming off of great world juniors. That's kind of my first reaction is holy cow. Anaheim is going to have a, a stable of young forwards to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you consider the situation that the flyers were kind of put in with, you know, a really good young player who, you know, as you said, kind of has this implied trade request, doesn't want to sign or play with the organization uh, to end up with Jamie Drysdale in return and and for the Ducks to get in on this action and bring in a guy like Cutter Gauthier. It seems like one of those deals. Obviously, we have to see what happens. We haven't seen any of these guys play with their respective teams at all. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe this is a, a win-win for both sides, especially if you're the Flyers and considering the situation they were in um, seems pretty smart by the ducks as well. Um, but I want to talk a bit more about Jamie Drysdale too here, Max um, Anaheim loses Jamie Drysdale. Um, he didn't have, you know, he has, wasn't having a great season this year. Um, but I'm curious, like what does adding him to the stable for the flyers do? Like what, what's your take on Drysdale heading to Philly? Yeah. So first of all, my my reaction here, I think, in, in the immediacy was that the Ducks had won this trade because I think Gauthier is the better prospect, just my opinion. Okay. But I have to say, the more you think about it, and, and Corey made this point in, in our uh, article that we did with Scott the other day, is that Drysdale is a pretty good, especially when you throw in the second rounder that they got for him. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good value, especially for a player who wanted out. And I think when you look at where the flyers are right now, right at the fringe of a playoff spot, I think they're still technically in a playoff spot. They are the team that comes out of this with the the now player that can step right in and help them this season. And so I think Mm -hmm. that is very relevant as they chase a playoff spot is this is now basically an ad for them right now. Whereas Gautier, you know, if he, if, even if he was going to sign, it wouldn't have been until very late in the season, Mm -hmm. this immediately puts a player into their lineup. I, I believe he's going to start in the top pair for them. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not had an amazing kind of season in Anaheim, but no one really has. I, I think that's kind of the, the fascinating thing here is it'll take him some time. You expect to acclimate, but you're going to put him into a team that is in a better situation than he was in, in Anaheim. And he, he's obviously only played 10 games this season too, but he is a guy who's been playing 20 minutes a night there. And so I think mm-hmm. you, you throw him into a role on a team that seems to have a really good idea of what they are. Maybe it takes him 10, 15 games to, to get on board with that. Right. Um, but I think you're, you're adding a top four defenseman and for a young one. And so I think that's pretty good. I, I think that will help Philadelphia right away. And of course they get what will be a, a early second rounder. We would think in, in 2025 as well. And to maybe go back to the duck side of things here too, and maybe this is an oversimplification. I think you made this point too in the round table that you did with Corey and Scott Wheeler, but like Jamie Drysdale is a solid defender, but there's quite a few good D coming up in this kind of next year's draft. Like it, it's conceivable to me that Anaheim can kind of replace that young um, defensive prospect, like as soon as this year by a draft, right? 
that's what was so amazing to me about this for the Ducks is they were able to, to get Gauthier and, and bulk up that forward core like we talked about. And I expect they're going to have a great chance to get a defenseman who I like even more than Drysdale um, in this class, whether that be Artem Levshunov, whether it be Anton Salayev, uh, whether it be Sam Dickinson from London. Like These are the kind of prospects that I think are solid bets to be future top four defensemen. All of them have a little bit more size than Jamie Drysdale. Um, and Drysdale is the now player. He, he's a really good player in his own right. It's no knock against him, but I think there's a good chance when all is said and done, and they, they could have added a player like that regardless of trading mm-hmm. him. But I think you, you, you got the forward that you wanted. Um, and he's on a, a short track to the NHL. Now you're going to get a defenseman to kind of replace Drysdale. I do see that as a pretty obvious kind of slam dunk. If you pick in the top five, you're going to come out of this with a, with a defenseman that you love if you're Anaheim. So I just fired up my fave little tankathon draft simulator, yeah. draft lottery simulator, and the Ducks move up a spot. They they got the second overall pick. So yeah, that could what's work. fascinating to me is what happens if they get the first overall pick, right. and all of a sudden you have this the chance. The Blues to got first overall on this one. Oh, good for them. That would be great for them. But if you hey, get the you chance to draft, they would pass on, if they go if they go first, do you think like he's the he's the consensus number one at this point? He is. I he is the consensus number one at this point. But but that's fascinating to me because it's obviously super appealing to have the idea of like Celebrini Carlson. Is McTavish become your third center? Do you bump him to the right. wing? That that's not a bad spot to be in. What I would want to mm-hmm. wonder about, and this never happens with the first overall pick, is that a situation where you could trade down to like two or three or four? and get one of those defensemen that I talked about and get a haul or just drop the defender at number one. No, I wouldn't do that. I would either take Celebrini and and the high value player or get the (laughs) extra assets to move down and get the defense. But this is where it's like, this is if if that happens, that's where we get to really nerd out leading up to draft time. What do you do? So that was my um, own like stupid, just like, just take them first. Like not even thinking of like the extra assets that would come with trading down. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) just go, just take them first overall. Like who cares? Whatever. I mean, they're, they're, I don't cover the draft draft anymore. (laughs) What did I do last year at the draft? Look, at this walked around last year, we knew it was Bedard, (laughs) but two years ago, I think everyone thought it was Shane Wright to to lose. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the process, Shane Wright's going fourth. So I'm not saying anything can, um, can't shake that up. And certainly the way Salayev started the year, I think there was a ton of curiosity of, of how high could that guy go. So, um, but I, if it were me, if I'm Anaheim, if I win the lottery, that's a fascinating decision. Should I simulate the lottery one more time? Sure, why not? Okay. I'm okay. Beep boop 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 beep boop boop. <laughs> That's the lottery. That's the lottery walls. Uh Anaheim's fifth. Montreal okay. won the draft lottery. Congratulations, Montreal Canadians. And Anaheim went fifth, so and that was I just irrelevant. I think if you're gonna get a get a really good defenseman. And and okay. I think their system calls for that so so it's, they're not bereft without Minchikov has been amazing this year as a young rookie defenseman. You got Luno and Zellweger on the way. So it's not, it's not like it's like desperation, but mm-hmm. there's just such a, such an opportunity to add what you've just traded away to get Gautier. And we don't know what's going to happen with these guys. It could be the Drysdale ends up the better pro than Gautier. I'm not ruling sure. that out, Yeah, but uh, you've, you've gotten the the piece that's this, you know, the big bodied scorer who can be a center if you need, or a winger if you need, mm-hmm. and, and you traded away a D to do it, but you can, get another D and maybe a D with a little more physical uh, toolkit um, in this sure. draft. And so anyways, long rambling answer. No, I mean, I was going to ask you like a little bit more about Cutter Gauthier's um, 
kind of prospect profile, but you did just hit a little bit of it there. Um, what's what's your sense on Jamie Drysdale and what he could become? Is, is he a top pair D? Is he a top four guy on a contender? What's your sense of, of kind of his development and his ceiling? I think number one, we just want to see Jamie Drysdale be healthy, right? He's only played mm-hmm. over the, between the last two seasons so far, which is, you know, out of 120 games, 18. So that's like the first and foremost thing. And especially for a smaller defenseman, I don't think that's nothing, but you know, the, the profile is as a player who's an elite skater and can handle the puck. And if he can, you know, maybe can he develop into like a Jared Spurgeon type, right. And that okay. could be your, your path to being the top four. You could, Maybe play on the power play. I, I, I'm not as qualified to do the exact kind of comps and profiling sure. here as, as Scott and Corey would be. I, I did an article with Scott and Corey this week on uh, kind of debating this trade, and I would yeah. encourage people to check that out. They've got the the real heavy prospect insight. But I, you know, if if Jamie Drysdale can quarterback a power play for Anaheim and play 21 minutes a night, like that's a slam dunk top four D. And I think he's already shown you to varying degrees that he can do that in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think he is a legit. Uh, top four defenseman. Yeah. If he can do that for the flyers. That's right. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. Well, thank you, Max. That was great. It was prospect corner with Max Boltman. And later in the show, you're going to get a bend. (laughs) You're going to get. Max is like so stone faced too, that when I like say or do stupid things, he just looks at me through the zoom. I'm just like, you're so stupid. No, I'm, I'm actually usually what you're probably seeing. I'm probably reading something like I'm something else to make sure <laughs> like that the, I didn't Max say the wrong thing. At me like, uh. um, prospect corner with Max Boltman. Uh, later on in the show, you'll get a little bit of a bet MGM corner with Max Boltman. He's an expert on the Red Wings, <laughs> on the uh, prospects, on the betting. I don't know that I'm a, I'm an expert on on betting or you know I try He's to dabbled, trying He's sprinkled. On Sprinkle in a few bets here and there. The only bet that I've made in the last five years has been on Bo Bichette to hit the over on two and a half hits, put 20 bucks on it. I won 60 and then I retired. That's great. I, uh, I don't bet on hockey actually, but, uh, I do, I do cover it. So hopefully that gives some insight. Yeah, there you go. It'll be perfect. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do a little bit of a mid season awards outlook. Uh, cause the big trades, obviously a, a topic, to, to dig into this week but we're also at the mid-season mark for a lot of teams um, we've got some awards to hand out we'll do that when we come back Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones Blue Nile has something she'll adore need it fast? most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, we're back. Still no Sean. Don't know what... I actually don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's not here, honestly. He just didn't show up this week. Uh, But it's fine. We don't need him. Max is breaking down the prospects, and now we're going to hand out some trophies. Um, so we're at the halfway mark of the season. Um, some teams are officially there. Other teams are slowly getting there. You know, it's kind of been the running joke of how many games the Ottawa Senators played this year. It's 36. Uh, whereas the Tampa Bay Lightning, they played 42. So some teams are over the half. Some are getting there. But we're going to call this the halfway mark um, of our podcast. And we've taken many weeks off. So we haven't played that many games as a Thursday show ourselves. 
uh, yeah, Sean's the not Ottawa even here. So this doesn't count. Podcast rotation. Literally. Um, but we're going to hand out some awards um, at the midseason mark. We're going to take a look at who we would give these awards to um, right now. So let's start with the Hart Trophy, Max. I think we're both in agreement on this one. And like, by the way, there are going to be some that we both pick our own person. There'll be somewhere that that person is is the same. And I think we're on board. For me, it's Nathan McKinnon right now. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I think he's he's really willing the avalanche and you're seeing, you know, peak McKinnon. I mean, he, he came close yeah. the one year and I, I don't like to be a person who talks about it being people's turns. But I think when you have a player who's been as good in the league as Nathan McKinnon has since he came into the league and then he's having mm-hmm. a season like this, it just kind of makes it feel like it's, you know, him going over the top and, and this is kind of yeah. his time and he's having a year befitting it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's absolutely the front runner for the Hart Trophy. And he's been like, I think the best way to describe him sometimes is just a bull. Uh, like he's just he's such a powerful player when he's on. It's so hard to stop him. He's so strong in the puck. He's so dominant. Um, that OT goal that he got uh, last week, I think it was, was just such a great example of Nathan McKinnon. And I and I always I sometimes hate using this like. I'm going to like when you talk about players like asserting their will on the game or saying like, I'm going to decide that I'm going to win this. But like sometimes it's true with McKinnon, like you can just see it um, when he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm just going to win this game. And he goes and does it Uh, 66 points through 41 games. The only person with more points than McKinnon is Nikita Kucherov. But um, I think we agree that the total package from McKinnon over Kucherov is more complete this year. Um, so I think we're both, we're both on the McKinnon wagon. I yeah, think Kutrov can get his flowers if people want to give it to him, but I, I don't know if there's a huge debate over who's going to, who's the guy for the heart right now. It's interesting because one of the measures people will often use it with MVP, there's not kind of that slam dunk formula, right? Some people like to look at it as who's the best player in the league. Some like to look at it. And I've historically have been this, who's the most valuable to their team and, one of the stats for the for the latter kind of interpretation people like to use is like how many points above the next highest scorer on your team are you? Mm-hmm. And in yeah. that regard, Kucherov, I think he's 25 up on Braden Point uh, mm-hmm. as we sit here and record this, which is kind of staggering. And I, I feel like with, you know, the Lightning and the Avalanche, they're both such talented teams that you don't really have to go that route for them. I think what it right. what it what separates it for me though is even though you know Ranton and McCarr are tremendous players and superstar players in their own right having really good seasons, I just feel like McKinnon is that important to an Avalanche team that has so far been way better than the Lightning. And to be that important for a team that is this good, um, one of the very top favorites for the Stanley Cup uh as we sit here at midseason, he's the driver. And so for me it, it's it's him I wouldn't call it that close. I don't know how how close you feel it is between him and Kucherov, but I I think it's McKinnon with a bullet. Yeah, and I think you know in terms of what happens in the second half of the season, a lot's going to depend on um, McKinnon sustaining and maintaining this level of play and what Connor McDavid can do. We've seen him surge in the past. Um, what is he going to do individually? What will he do? Um, how far will he take that Oilers team? So I think that will be a conversation and something we kind of continue to look at because you can never forget about Connor McDavid in this league. Um, you know, Dom Lustrician did his awards watch um, for the midseason and he kind of broke it down. And the one thing I will highlight about McKinnon as it relates to the conversation with Nikita Kutrov, um, 
it's that he's providing value without the puck. Um, Nathan McKinnon is, and that's the big thing that's separating him from Kucherov in terms of the um, overall game, the positive impact he has on both sides of the puck. Um, McKinnon's been on the ice for 57% of the actual and expected goals in Colorado this season, um, which are are higher marks than than Kucherov. So that's kind of why I think we're both on the Kucherov train is, is that total package from Nathan McKinnon. Um, let's go to the Norris. This is a hot button topic, I guess. Um, I think if you would have talked to people a month ago, there would have been more of a debate between Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. And McCarr's obviously fabulous. He's going to win plenty of these awards. But for me, on January 10th, which is when we're recording this, 11th is when this is coming out, um, it's Quinn Hughes for the Norris for me right now. Like, I don't want to say Makara is like totally dropped off, um, but Hughes has been maintaining a very excellent level of play and production through the first half of the season. And the role that he's playing for, for the Canucks is just really mm-hmm. can't be overstated. He's being asked to do so much for them. I, I do agree that that it's Hughes for me uh, at this point. I, I have been really uh, enjoying, and this was in Dom's awards watch piece, the the rise of the rest of the class of 2018 defensemen with Evan Bouchard yeah. and Noah Dobson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were all, I think they might've been one, two, three on the graphic that he had. I don't know if that's how he would necessarily vote it uh, right. today, but still like really kind of a fun little treat for, for all those guys that went right around each other. But it, to me, it is Quinn Hughes. And I think he's just been everything to them. I, I right now, I would have a hard time keeping Quinn Hughes off my heart ballot as well. And that doesn't always Ooh. perfectly Ooh. dovetail with the Norris. Okay. Yeah. But in this case, I think it does. What uh, what about Quinn Hughes makes him a heart trophy candidate for you? I, I think just how central he is to what they do. I, I know his defensive numbers maybe aren't like crazy, crazy good, but they are still sure. perfectly solid um, for, yeah. I think, uh, a guy who offensively is, has been as dynamic as it gets in the league this season. He's so central to one of the league's best power plays, to a, to a resurgent team like that. I think some of those elements, when you start talking about like the heart, like I do think you want to see a team that's doing something because of this player and I certainly Kale McCarr like we just, just talked about is really important to the avalanche um obviously and, and so much of what they do but I I feel like Quinn Hughes's elevation has elevated the entire Vancouver Canucks team and so uh, for me he's the midseason Norris and I think if I'm filling out a heart ballot today he's somewhere on that ballot I don't know mm-hmm. that it's top two or necessarily but he could be as high as three honestly for me Okay. Uh, Vancouver Canucks, by the way, lead the league um, as of Wednesday night before the slate of games in regulation wins with 26. Um, So that's kind of like an extra thing there too, right? They're the league's best team right now. I think if you go by points in the standings, Winnipeg is number one, but I am a big believer in the regulation win. Like, and this is a PWHL thing now, like now that the PWHL is a three, two, one point system, I'm like, Thank you. A regulation win is more valuable than an OT win or a win in a shootout. And I think that the points and the standings should reflect that. So sometimes I like to remind myself of the teams that are like dominant and winning games in regulation. It's a bit of recency bias too, because the Canucks just like took a tear through the New York metropolitan area, um, you know, beating up on the Rangers, the Devils and the Islanders over the last three days. So I'm Did with you, you on the Quinn Hughes love. Did you read Mendes's article, kind of like looking at what the standings would look like with the three-two-one yeah. system? I thought that was really good, really interesting. Yeah, I think it's 
you know, something that the NHL should adopt too. Um, they should copy and, and follow the women because they're smarter. Simple as we that. Just, we just lost a lot of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, let's move on to to the next one here. Let's go to the Vesna. Um, we could give some more love to the Canucks. Like I think Thatcher Demko is absolutely in the conversation again. The Canucks have 27 regulation wins. He's a big reason for that. Um, but I'm going Connor Hellebuck. He's only lost six games in regulation this season, 21 wins through his first 30 starts, 2.20 goals against average. Like if the season ended today, that would be Connor Hellebuck's lowest goals against average of his career. And this is a guy who's had like a ton of Vesna caliber seasons, but this year could end up being his best. Um, he's got a 923 save percentage. That's the second highest of his career to date. Um, and he's on pace to win 40, 40 games. That would be the second time he's done it in his career. Um, the last time he won more than 40 games uh, was <laughs> he won 44 games in 2017, 18, and he lost the Vesna to Pekka Rene. Um, and the Preds were the President's Trophy winners that year. So I think this is a big year, like a big Vesna caliber year for Connor Hellebuck. Um, and I don't necessarily, I don't want to jinx anything, but I don't necessarily see a drop off because this isn't one of those years for me where it's like, ooh, if Connor Hellebuck isn't a 920 goalie, the Jets are toast. Like the Jets actually look good in front of him, which I think is only going to make his numbers look better at the end of the day. So I'm yeah. team Hellebuck for Vesna this year. I'm with you. And, and I think those two guys that you mentioned with, with Hellebuck and Demko, they're, they're two of the guys that are really kind of that throwback horse in goal for their yeah. team. And mm -hmm. I, especially as we see the, it's not even so much the tandems. Cause I don't know that you're really, although Linus Allmark did get it last year in a, in a tandem. Um, but you're looking for these guys that can be your 55, 60 plus game starters. Those are mm -hmm. two of them. And there are more out there, you know, UC Saros uh, is certainly in that conversation and Ilya Sorokin, uh, Igor Shesterkin. But I, I like giving it to a horse like that. And I, I think yeah. especially you, if you start looking at a little bit, the advanced numbers, Hellebuck 21.46 goals saved above expected. It's actually not <laughs> oh first. Gosh. Jacob Markstrom is ahead of him. I don't oh, think you well, can give it to yeah. a Calgary Flames goalie, partly because they're just giving up so many expected goals. That's going to yeah, be like, why like, what happened? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm with Hellebuck, though. I think that's the way. And I another guy who I think is just helping to elevate the entire team around him. Um Boy, am I just going to put him on the MVP ballot too here? I don't know. I think there's a case for it. So when Hellebuck won the Vesna, I guess that was in 2020. Yes. I had him on my heart ballot because yeah. I just thought he was so critical to what And he finished sixth. Like, like you were not alone. He finished sixth in that yeah. voting. And that I think that was legitimate. And uh, I think the Jets are a team. They're probably the surprise team in the NHL to this point. And I have to give Hellebuck, a, he's not the only reason, but I have to give him a ton of the credit. So I'm I'm with you on the Vesna. We won't actually vote on that one. That's one of the awards no. that we can speak ex especially freely on yeah. because we don't have any say on it. But that's who I yeah. would like to see. Get it. I wonder why that is. Do they just think like media are dumb when it comes to goalies? They wouldn't necessarily. But we're smart wrong. about we're, we're smart about the most gentlemanly player. Well, like we're by the way, like we're not doing that. I didn't put it on the list. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. Unless you have an idea for it, like no. I'm not no. doing the lady bing. No, I. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, folks. I, 
my lady bing ballot is uh not the most scientifically composed i have to say um uh, look at I, who has the fewest pims and the most points there you go it's, it's part of it but i also do like look for like captains and i look for guys who yeah. i feel like are you know I, I actually one of the things i do for lady bing is i look at defensive defensemen and defensive centers with and good like how many penalties and low penalty minutes exactly yeah um but that's only part of it like it's it's just not very scientific and i have to say you mentioned Brutal. are we too dumb to, to grade goalies I might be too dumb to grade goalies. I don't know anything <laughs> about goaltending. So honestly, I uh, I've been doing some of the broadcasts for the PWHL, and I went into the pregame for a Montreal, um, the Montreal game on Saturday, and I was like so proud of myself because I did all this research, research, and I had this like pack about Anne Renee Bien and she <laughs> she like let in three goals. No, two goals, and one of them was a stinker. I was like, oh. And then the other goalie got a shutout. But like the other goalie got the shutout, and Debian lost. And I was like, okay. I guess I should have talked about Maddie Rooney some more in the pregame. But I was like, this is fine. I'm still right. Yeah. Big in the long game. run. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. Goalies are, goalies are voodoo. So um, I, I'm a big, like, they have the lady being be from the refs or something you know because we don't know what's going on down there i don't know who's a gentleman i don't no. know these people <sighs> anyways no. i think we're both in agreement on connor hallibuck i think you we people should start disagreeing to... i think i think we need some disagreements here how about coach of the year who you got we there? need sean we <laughs> we, we need we need sean to just be We've like kind of rude edge. i know we need Corey. um who do you no, got Corey's coach of the year? kind of mean to me okay I actually haven't been able to decide. Okay. I've got a bunch of names here. I, and I feel now that I'm talking too much about the Canucks. I was going to give Rick Tockett some love and I probably will. Like, I think if the Canucks finish with the most regulation wins of the year, you know what? Screw it. I'm going with Rick Tockett. They have the most regulation wins right now. I love the Canucks. I'm the anti-Dom. I love Vancouver. Um, <laughs> I think they, they've got the most regulation wins this season. I like what I've seen from that team in terms of um, the turnaround from certain players. Like I think you just look at JT Miller and not to give all of the credit to Rick Tockett, um, but JT Miller's had a much better season, especially when we're talking about his complete game. I think if you look at Dom's awards watch jt miller is actually one of the like top candidates for the selkie that is not something we were saying about jt no, miller last season and i think you can credit jt miller for you know making changes and focusing in on his game and, and making adjustments after last season but i do also think you have to credit the coach and the system and like the the vibe that he's like implemented in that room and i feel like i've talked about this before but i always go back to um there was a game against the Nashville Predators and the Canucks were not playing very well, but they still beat the Preds like six, six, two or something. You know, it was a, you could call it a blowout. Um, Elias Patterson gets a hat trick, but he gets benched because he had some like poor D zone details. Um, JT Miller has to sit down for four minutes in a certain game because like his details are, are lacking. And, and this is a game in which they're sticking it to the Preds and they're about to get the two points in regulation, but talk, it's not, like letting up on the details in the style of game that's important, right? It's like we're 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 not going to be happy with this win because there are certain things that you're doing that like is not going to fly, and that's something that that's just like one example, and it's not the only thing, but I think that's something that I've really appreciated 
from Talkit and really appreciated watching that Canucks team this season. I know it's shocking. I live in the Eastern time zone and I stay up late to watch the Canucks. Um, but I think I would go with, uh, with Talkit if I had to make a bet right now. My other option, and I don't know if this is what you're going with, but I do think Paul Marie should be in this conversation. Um, we had this chat on the show before Max with Sean, how shocking it was. Like we went from thinking like, how are the Panthers going to sustain all those injuries to, Oh my God, the Panthers defensive numbers have been even better than they were last season without Ekblad and Montour. Um, and they're one of the top teams in terms of regulation wins in the NHL right now too. I believe they're second or third. Um, it, it's uh, Florida, the Jets and the Canucks at number one with like 26 25 24 or something like that so i think paul maurice gets a ton of flowers here too but who who would you go with well first of all you talked about this my least favorite uh refrain which is that east coast voters do not stay up and watch <laughs> western games i just got back from a, a week in california and when i tell you that i had no concept for what happened in the, in the east coast the league on the east coast while i was there to such a more staggering degree than I've ever okay. had that problem the other direction. Because you're not going to be watching a game at like 5 p.m. While I'm on my way to the rink? No, yeah. no chance, right? No. So uh, that was the most interesting thing to me is I wonder if that myth just happens because people on the West are actually completely unaware of anything happening to the <laughs> East of them at all. Yeah. Like, games are starting at like 4 o'clock. Yeah, I know. So when I was I in Calgary, was that like when I was in Calgary, it was just like I don't know what the Leafs are doing. Like I'm no chance. It took me so I'm long. Still at to get the dome for morning skate or whatever. Right. You know, exactly. like, I don't know what's going on. Um, that being said, this is maybe I don't know if this is lazy or not. I think it's John Tortorella, and and I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know people don't like this idea that coach of the year is just the coach that like overachieves the most. But if this Flyers team that had the seventh overall pick last year. And no shortage, by the way, of of tumult around them. Yeah, uh, can can actually get into the playoffs. I I don't know how you don't give it to John Tortorella. I think Rick Tockett's done a tremendous job. I think, as you mentioned, Paul Maurice and I'd add Jim Montgomery in there as someone who has guided a team losing Patrice Bergeron. I mean, when when you talk about like the leadership vacuum that that could have left, um, Montgomery has to, I think get some consideration there. Even though the Bruins are coming off such a great year and will almost, I mean, will certainly finish with a lower point total than a year ago. Mm -hmm. I think that really does speak to to a team's culture. But I think a lot of that still goes to their leaders, right? And, and those guys didn't leave. Brad Marchand and uh, Pasternak, McAvoy, all these guys these, these, that have been there. Um, so I'm I'm going with Tortorella. I just think the Flyers have so far surpassed my expectations, and it's honestly been in. Obviously, you expect a John Tortorella team to do it a certain way, and they are a top 10 defensive team in the NHL. They're also mm -hmm. a top half of the league offense, underlying numbers-wise. Yeah. And I think that is just such so remarkable when I look at what they have to work with, the results that they're getting. It's John Tortorella for me. Totally. And I wonder how that changes like if the drop-off happens. But um, that team's super interesting because I do I think people are still holding on to the like they're going to regress eventually thing. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure they will. Like, I don't know if the Flyers are going to be a playoff team. Like underlying numbers speaking, say that they are underperforming right now. Right. And so that's numbers. the thing where it's like, at what point do we just say that the Flyers are pretty good right now? At, like it's January 10th. Like the whole reg like regression happens within the season. We saw it with the Jets last year. They had a complete second half drop off to the point where it was like, uh, are they even going to make the playoffs? Like what's going on with the Jets? Like the Jets gave the Flames an opportunity to make the playoffs. Um, 
at the kind of last week because they were so bad in the second half of the season. So it's possible, but we're far enough along into the season. There's enough of a statistical, um, you know, I forgot the word. We have enough of like a sample, yeah. <laughs> a sample size. Thank you to look and say, okay, the Flyers have not just been pretty good, but actually underperforming based on some of their underlying numbers. Yeah. I mean, you look at the roster and you say they should regress. And then you look at what the data is through 40 games yeah. and it says, nope, actually this is, they should be at least this good. And like they're uh, doing no, okay. Bravo to them. Yeah. Cause it's not like they're not getting PDO'd or whatever, you know, it's not yeah. from some kind of 98% save percentage or a 20% shooting. Um, so I think the flyers are super interesting. I think Kevin Kerr's made the point of like, are people going to stop? Are people going to start thinking like, okay, we're far enough along in that they're okay. Maybe, but I doubt it. Yeah. Um, people are annoying. Do you want to hit the Selkie? Oh, and by the way, uh, JT Miller is not in the Selkie conversation on Tom's <laughs> model. <laughs> was he in heart? Uh, no, he's not on the story at all. It was the ESPN oh. Awards watch that I was reading. Um, JT well, Miller hey, was a finalist. That's still something. Yeah, I'm not totally dumb, but JT Miller was a finalist in the one that uh, Greg Wyshynski at ESPN did. Um, it does add to you being anti-Dom, though. Uh, you know what? You're right. The, the competitors awards watch and not Dom's. Mm. Sorry. I, I will go to Selkie. Yeah. Yes. Do I, it. What do you I think? don't know if I'm doubling down on my preseason prediction for who fills the Patrice Bergeron void, but I think Alexander Barkov <laughs> has legitimately been deserving of, of this kind of conversation, especially when you think about the players that they were missing to start the year. And I think he was a huge reason that they were able to stay afloat through that. So yeah. he he's my kind of early pick. I think there's other good candidates out there. I think a lot of the usual suspects and that has kind of become the reputation of the Selkie is that we, we just talk about the same guys over and over, but honestly, mm -hmm. isn't that kind of true of every award at this point? Yeah, pretty much. I like how it's not like Connor Hellebuck and the Vesna conversation is like a new and exciting thing. Uh, right. So we can know, talk I, about Jordan Stahl, talk <laughs> about Erickson Eck, and I think they're both valid and, and Barkov right. certainly fits that mold, but for, as totally. of now, I think that's where I'd leave. Um, I feel like Anze Kopitar should like continue to get love in the Selkie conversation. Um, the fact that he still plays a ton of minutes in important situations, PK for the Kings. Um, so I'm always like a big Kopitar gets some love person. What was really interesting, and this was on Dom's awards watch, is that Nick Suzuki actually has the best defensive rating by his model of uh, any defensive forward who meets the criteria of over 16 minutes per game and 15% of their team's shorthanded minutes and uh, face above average forward competition. So if you look at Dom's model right now, by the defensive rating, the best defensive forward in the NHL is Nick Suzuki. I don't Will hate he that. Win I think he it's kind of fun. belongs in the conversation. I think so. But I don't know if anybody without maybe looking at that save for Habs fans would be banging the table for Suzuki in the Selkie conversation. It's just hard to get noticed when you're not on a playoff or, or near playoff team. Like yeah. Sean Couturier would be another guy who I think if the Flyers make the playoffs has a real case in this conversation, but yeah. I think it's really hard to give these awards to guys. I don't, I don't set that as a policy, but I just think it's hard to get the award when you're not on a playoff team. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's going to be interesting too, because we see it with, with young players, like the first time that they kind of like nudge their name into the conversation They they don't show up on a ton of ballots and they certainly don't win. Um, and for years it was because of the Patrice Bergeron element of like, okay, yeah. Um, Anthony Sorelli had an excellent season, but 
like he's still a kid and he's not better than Patrice Bergeron. So sorry, buddy. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which what new names potentially get into this conversation. Uh, let's do one more uh, before we head to a break. And that's the Calder. So I most people would have assumed heading into the season that the Calder trophy was just going to go to Connor Bedard. But there's been a wrinkle. Uh, Connor Bedard, uh, very unfortunately, um, just had surgery for a fractured jaw. He's out six to eight weeks. So that's going to blow open the door for someone to steal this award. He could come back and play great and still win it. But for context, uh, Connor McDavid, who was the first overall pick by the Oilers, as we know, in 2015, he had a great start to his rookie season, 12 points in 13 games. And then he broke his clavicle, missed 37, finished the season still more than a point per game player, 48 points in 45 games. But because of that sample size, uh, he finished third and called it a trophy voting. So McDavid did not win rookie of the year in his rookie season. Um, so maybe Bedard could still be the guy, but I don't think so. And I still, I also think that there was a bit of a debate around maybe not. I think most people would still say it's Bedard, but I do think there were people making the case for guys like Luke Hughes, Brock Faber yeah. in that conversation. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're, is that where you're going with this? Are you, are you going to lobby for I, one of the D men? I think that like I'm I'm a big Brock Faber gal. Um 19 points in 39 games. He's averaging just under 25 minutes of ice time, which leads the Wild and all rookie defenders. I think Jared Spurgeon missing time um over multiple stints here with the lower body injury has, you know, given somebody like Brock Faber even more opportunity on the blue line and he's like stepped up and he looks totally comfortable. Like he doesn't look like a, a kid rookie D man. Um, and he wore a PWHL Minnesota Jersey to the game the other day. So love that for him. But I honestly think that like, I would have had to sit and think about even if maybe if Bedard had like a hundred points or whatever, then obviously like I'm just putting that out there. But I do think even if Bedard didn't get hurt, I probably would have had to sit and think for a second, like, What's more important here, Bedard producing well on a bad team or, or Brock Faber coming out and being very impressive on, on the Wild Blue Line? I know the Wild aren't a great team, but they're not in the Blackhawks um, tier. What do you think? It's a complicated one because I think you make a lot of good points. And I, I think Faber has probably been the most important rookie to his team. He's mm-hmm. probably made the best adjustment to the NHL. I think all of that is really valid. And I think. I, it's there's this temptation. I think you, you talked about McDavid not winning the Calder Trophy, and I, there's a part of me I didn't vote in that year. I wasn't. Um, yeah, I was still yet. in school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but do you? What do you think about that? Like when you look back in hindsight, do you? Does that strike you as like embarrassing? Would feel like the wrong word, but like silly. Um, I don't know. Like you know what I mean? I think because he only played that many games, it's fine. I think if it. I think if he would have played like 60 games and he still lost or something, then that would be a joke. It's like, okay, what are we doing here? You know, right. he only missed like 20. Um, We're not won asked that- to predict. We're not asked to predict like who's the best player going to be. Yeah, on the, totally. On the, on the Calder Trophy, right? You're asked who had the best season. And so it, from Our that Temi Panarin won that year. And, and I think that, yeah, yeah like Panarin that won that year. But I think that was like the complicated one because Panarin was 24 years old. 
old, right? It's like Kaprizov, right, like that's right? the Kaprizov conversation. Yeah. But like he did have seventy-seven points. He had thirty goals, um, and he played the full season. McDavid, um, forty-eight points, um, and he only played forty-five games, so he missed almost half the season. So I think because he missed that much time, I'm yeah. okay with and- it. Bedard but, might not get to 60 games, right? If, it, if this ends yeah. up being eight weeks, there's a, I mean, you get the all-star break is going to help. Yeah. 60, he, that might be right at the cutoff for where he is, right? So there's mm-hmm. this part of me that's like, he's having a great year. And I am worried about looking back in five years and being like, how did I not vote this guy rookie of the year? Right. But at the same time, you know, Brock Faber is having a tremendous impact on mm-hmm. the Minnesota wild. And if the Minnesota wild make the playoffs leaning on Brock Faber to the degree that they have, he mm-hmm. among defensemen with at least 200 minutes of five on five ice time is top 10 in the NHL and expected goals against, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be able to do that in your first year in the NHL, especially in this kind of workload. His workload is crazy. I, I think he's played uh, as many or more, more five on five minutes this year than Miro Haskinen, who's like an unquestioned number one defenseman in the Dallas yeah. Stars. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of want to side with you, but there's this <laughs> but you're not. looking part of me. I don't know. I like, I don't have to vote today. This isn't my, <laughs> I guess I kind of, for, for the show, I kind of have to, I, I think, how about this? Bedard's only missed a few games as of right now. If I'm casting my ballot based on what's happened at this point, I think I'm giving it to Bedard. Okay. But if he doesn't get to right around that 60 threshold, I think Faber becomes a very defensible vote. Yeah. I I still, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Luke Hughes is the other one in that conversation. Yeah. Um, he's had um, a very good rookie season with the uh, New Jersey Devils. And I think one of the interesting things I saw this on TNT, um, I, uh, he was talking about just the adjustment to the NHL. I think it was Paul Bissonnette with the question um, and how at this point in the season, like his college year probably would have been done by now. Like he's playing more hockey than he has in a long time and he's playing more minutes. And with Dougie Hamilton out, he's taking on more um, as a rookie D man typically would. And and he's been, been playing very well too. So I think if Bedard's out for eight weeks, we're going to have a pretty interesting debate um, over these kind of top, top rookies. And it's kind of fun that we're talking about two defenders. Um, it is, is cool. no, and I think that's a good, good development. I remember when in Moritz Sider's rookie year, that was like a, a big storyline of like, Oh, you know, defensemen don't win this award very often. And that feels silly to me because I think, especially the way the league is going, young defensemen are making massive, massive impacts on their teams. And I think, uh, obviously it's harder for young defensemen to like pile up points. And that happens, uh, to be a, a big factor in this award historically but i think if if a young defenseman is playing like a 20 plus minute a night role on a team especially a good team that carries a ton of weight for me and so i I think it's good that we're talking about these defensemen like this absolutely um okay i think that's it for our mid-season awards um we will kind of follow up and see how we did at the end of the season how stupid Am I going to look? Um, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we do have a bit of news that we can talk about. Corey Perry uh, has been deemed eligible to sign with NHL teams after a meeting with Gary Bettman. That just came out a few minutes ago. When you're listening to this, it'll be uh, Thursday morning. So it won't be totally breaking news, but it is for us. So we're going to take a quick break, check out what happened here, uh, and we'll finish off the third segment. All right, we're back with a little bit of news here on this Wednesday night. Corey Perry is now eligible to sign with any National Hockey League team as a free agent after having his contract terminated by the Chicago Blackhawks on November 30th. Um, That's after a meeting with League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Um, 
from our colleague, Chris Johnston. Um, and this is just a bit of, it's not totally news here, but this is just important context. Uh, Corey Perry would need to sign by the March 8th trade deadline in order to be eligible for this year's playoffs. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. This is like a weird one. I'm not shocked. I'm honestly not surprised by this, Max. Um, I was asked in the immediate aftermath of Corey Perry's contract being terminated. Um, I was doing Sportsnet Radio and someone said, like, do you think a team takes a flyer on him this season? I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm not surprised by this and I will not be shocked if and when somebody signs him. Like, unfortunately, yep. um, we don't totally know what happened. I think that's important to say. But what we do know is that the Blackhawks said an internal investigation determined Perry, quote, engaged in conduct that is unacceptable and in violation of both the terms of a standard player's contract and the Blackhawks' internal policies intended to promote professional and safe work environments. So I guess my big question is, what exactly happened? And what did Gary Bettman find that made him think that um, he should be able to play after the Blackhawks deemed him not uh, able to play for their organization. Yeah. I, one of the things that jumped to my mind, right. As we were hearing this news, as we were recording was, you know, right around the time of the termination of the contract, there was kind of this idea out there that, you know, the Blackhawks needed because of their recent history, um, obviously involving the Kyle beach situation mm -hmm. that they needed to have like the highest standard here. And, and I don't know whether that was a good argument or not for behavior that the Blackhawks deemed to be unacceptable. Yeah. But I guess we're going to find out if other teams do deem this, not to say they deem it acceptable, but they sure. deem they deem it, you know, eligible or a Perry, you know, able to, to move past it with him and, and, and to sign him. Yeah. And I tend to agree with you, Haley, that some team is going to determine that they're willing to do that. I, yeah. I think about like the Evander Kane situation, which, you know, you never want to get into kind of comparing you know, what's yeah. worse or whatever. Right. But, yeah. but they, that was a situation where I saw the Edmonton Oilers say, okay, we know what's out there and we're going to sign this player anyway. And mm -hmm. honestly, they're the first team that jumped into my head for who might be interested in signing him because he does strike me as a, a player who has a lot of the things they're missing. And they yeah. demonstrated with pain that they're willing to overlook some of this other stuff uh, in, in, in search of that right or wrong. I'm not, uh, I'm not defending that if that's what they do. But uh, that would be the first team that comes to my mind. Um, and, I, and like you, I'm, I'm not surprised that the NHL ultimately uh, decides they're going to leave this to the free market here. Yeah. And I think um, so. This is according to Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet. That meeting with Commissioner Gary Bettman happened on Tuesday. And now the news is breaking here on Wednesday night that, you know, they've deemed that he's eligible to sign with any team. As a free agent, as you said, like I see a team looking at Corey Perry and, and what he provides. This is a guy who's made it all the way to the cup final multiple times. He's one of those guys that people, you know, right before this stuff happened, there was a bunch of articles um, about how great Corey Perry was in the room and he's the best mm -hmm. teammate, da da da. Like I don't, I think there's going to be teams who, who still think of that and they think of that guy and they say, I think we could get him for a million because he's not going to be on a $4 million contract anymore. So I won't be surprised if and when that happens. It's very NHL. Um, what and I'd add to Haley is like like mm -hmm. the when you when you talk about like okay they deemed him eligible to sign. That is probably a line that the NHL feels. I would guess if it were me, like they need to have a pretty clear precedent on what crosses the line that you are not sure. even eligible to play in their league. And and sure. I do understand that you don't want to set that bar 
Yeah, it'll be like a PA nightmare kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. right. Sure. It's always ends up being like a legal PA thing. Yes. So as uh, to your original point, Max, it will be very interesting to see which teams uh, deem that behavior from Corey Perry to be okay with their organization where it wasn't with with the Blackhawks and, and this from or something that they're willing to say is part of the past. Like, I don't think yes. like if this were to happen yeah. again, like he, he apologized. Like, yeah. It's right. okay. Exactly. Cause um, Corey Perry, of course, when, when that stuff happened, he re- uh, released an apology admitting his behavior was inappropriate and wrong. Uh, but he also added that he would work with experts to discuss his struggles with alcohol. He apologized to the organization, teammates, employees, fans, etc. Um, this was from Elliot Friedman's quick story on Sportsnet tonight as well. It said, um, and this was to your point about um, their kind of internal standard. Um, Kyle Davidson, the general manager of the Blackhawks, uh, met with the team. And while he did not disclose the specific incident that happened that led to Corey Perry being terminated, sources indicated to Sportsnet um, that he made it very clear the organization could not tolerate or afford any misbehavior in the aftermath of the Kyle Beach situation. So uh, Corey Perry, he's a free agent and he is eligible to sign with an NHL team from now until March 8th. He could do it after, but if he does, he can't play in the playoffs. Just to clarify one thing on this too, before we wrap up the Corey Perry conversation, um, and this is from our colleague here at The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun, Gary Bettman didn't actually need to officially clear Corey Perry to play because the commissioner hadn't barred him from playing Mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, But Bettman, according to Lebrun, met with Perry at the player's request. That was Tuesday, Wednesday night. We get the kind of official uh, word that he is, in fact, eligible to sign with the team in right the and so and that goes to it's it's not so much a decision to clear it's a decision to not ban and it wasn't a yes. decision that was like a you must make this but it kind yeah. of reinforces that this, this idea of uh yeah it was a you know it was a blackhawks decision to to terminate Correct. the contract but Corey perry was not actually barred from playing in the nhl in the first place um Correct. so yeah he's he's allowed to sign before the trade deadline, if he wants to play in the playoffs, if a team wants to to add him to their playoff team. So that's the news from Corey Perry or on Corey Perry. Before we end the show, we wanted to take a look at the current Stanley Cup favorites at the midway point of the season. We did the midseason awards, uh, but there's like a bigger trophy. <laughs> that's my little much bigger. I always have like a like a transition and then I like laugh at myself on it and it kind of ruins the smooth transition. Because I'm like laughing or I'm impressed with myself that I was able to do that. Yeah, you're um, like, you're like there's a the bigger, comment. there's yeah. a bigger award. It's called the Stanley Cup. Uh, <laughs> and let's take a look at some of the odds from our friends uh, and partners at BetMGM. So BetMGM currently has the Colorado Avalanche with the best odds at winning the Stanley Cup uh, with plus 750 right now. Um, and their partner or their opponent, we should say would be the New York Rangers. That's per bet MGM right now. That's plus 850. What do we think about that? Do we the think that's going to be the Stanley Cup final matchup? I, the first thing that jumps out of me looking at the lines is that the Rangers do have the best odds to win the Stanley Cup uh, of the Eastern Conference teams, but there are actually five teams that bet MGM gives equal odds to come out of the Eastern Conference. That being the mm-hmm. Rangers, the Bruins, the Canes, the Leafs, and the Panthers. So BetMGM just saying of those teams, the Rangers are the ones that it that feels like would have the best chance to beat the Avalanche or, you know, whoever so would come out of the, of the West. Right. And so, yeah, it is. And, and uh, I, I kind of get it. But I think what you're also seeing is BetMGM sees this as a 
pretty wide open Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. And I think they're exactly right about that. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you said, it's the Panthers, Leafs, Rangers, Bruins, and Canes all with the same odds at winning the Eastern Conference. I The Avs are the favorite to win the West. Um, and again, the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Um, I think there's a bit of a similar situation in the Western Conference. Um, the Golden Knights just edging out the Oilers and Stars um, to make the Western Conference final. Um, but those three teams are still pretty close on those lines, I think. I, personally, I would give a bit of the edge to the Dallas Stars over the yeah. Oilers or the Golden Knights, but I think it's fair to have the Golden Knights as as that kind of second-best team in the West right now. They just won the Stanley Cup. We've seen them do it before. Um, but I just feel like, don't we just agree with them that it's going to be the Avs? I, they'd be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, you're looking for value. I think the Stars are are, are continue to be a team that I think certainly should be within the top three or four and they are not there by the odds. And so I think that's, you know, notable. I know you're. Yeah. You're give me the, what's the jets line. I'm a, I'm a jets girly now. Yeah, Let's go. The jets are 1600. So like if you're, Ooh. if you're looking for, you know, I, and I do see it, like, like you're talking about the team that's in first place in the NHL and you can one get seven straight. One. We're talking about the Vesna potential well, Vesna winning goalie. What would scare Let's me? Oh, sprinkle a little sprinkle. Vegas knows it is, but Vegas knows the standings. And to me, in my limited betting experience, (laughs) I don't really want to bet on a team at their high watermark. And and if, if at their high watermark, they're 16 to one, man, that tells me that like, oh, I might be over my skis on it, even though it's great odds to win it. So if I were someone who wanted to bet on the jets, which I, you know, if I, I want to sprinkle, if I want to sprinkle a 10 or a 20 I'd on the test, you're saying I should wait for like a three-game I'd losing wait. streak. I'd wait for okay. a losing streak, see if you can get those odds to go up a little bit. I don't Ooh. know that I want to be placing that bet at their high watermark, especially if they're already giving you good value. Maybe it gets even better. But mm-hmm. it also would tell me I might want to stay away from that one, personally. Okay, here we go. That's BetMGM Corner with Max Boltman. Let's go. Thanks. I'm going to hold on to my $20 bill for just a little bit longer. We'll see. All right, and that brings us to the end of this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we just want to remind you: give us a give us a rating, hopefully a five star rating. Give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, chat with us in the comment section too. Give us some questions because sometimes we don't know what we're talking about in the third segment. And if you give us like good comments and questions, then it it really helps us provide a good product. Uh, and just a reminder that you can follow us on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash at The Athletic Hockey Show. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Uh, Ian and Julian have the next edition of The Athletic Hockey Show on Monday. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye, Max. Bye.